Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It's all presented by Coors Light right here on Giants.com. John Schmetto. John Schmetto. <laughs> well, that was some opening, ladies and gentlemen. Boy, we're making up new human beings here on Giants.com. So glad you could join us. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow. 201-939-4513. Make sure you <laughs> I'd like to meet him. Remember that we're presented by Coors Light. I might we're have had a, a few of those before we started. <laughs> Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing <laughs> Giants prizes. Well, we have a busy show today. Oh, we do. <laughs> At twelve oh five, we have Seth Emerson who covers the Georgia Bulldogs for the Athletic. He'll come on and talk about some of the prospects out of Georgia. Twelve thirty five John Schmetto. Well yeah, and then and then around twelve thirty we will talk about some of the rule changes in the NFL and of course uh, the proposed rule changes I should say with uh owners meetings taking place next week. We'll maybe get approval on some of those rule changes. And of course we'll take your calls at two oh one nine three nine four five one three and hashtag Giants chat on Twitter. All right, pro days. Uh, they've been going on in fury. We've heard about, oh, these quarterbacks, they're lighting up their pro days. This is great. Well, let me tell you, if these guys can't throw versus air, you got problems, okay? I mean, these guys are, are high-level college quarterbacks. The reason I didn't make a big deal about the Kyler Murray pro days is because I expected him to be great on his pro day. I expected Dwayne Haskins to be good on his pro day. I expected Drew Locke to be good on his pro day. I expect Will Greer to be good on his pro day. These things are not surprises, nor should they be? And that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, 100%. You're throwing to your teammates. Uh, clearly, you With know no the personnel rush. you're throwing to. You're not wearing helmets. You're not wearing pads. If you can't excel in that environment, John, then I don't know what else to tell you. I think that we're at the time period where everybody is just itching to grab new pieces of information, as yep. you well know. Mm -hmm. So you got a pro day. Oh, it's something new. Let's overanalyze it. At the end of the day, it's the entire resume combined most specifically what they did during the collegiate season. Yeah, All games. this other stuff mm -hmm. is complementary pieces. All it should do is it should support what you already think of the player. It should not hurt the player. That's essentially how I look at pro days, the combine, and so forth. 201-939-4513. We'll have Seth Emerson from The Athletic. He covers Georgia. We'll get him on the line right now, and we'll talk some Georgia football. But uh, we'll have some of these guys to not just review the pro days, folks. That's not what these interviews are for. It's, it's to review what the prospects are because a lot of times the local guys will have a better perspective on some of these players than even the national guys who've just watched tape and talked to people. Uh, you know, you got to feel being around them every day, and that's what we try to hope to accomplish with some of these uh, college interviews. Well, the one thing I will say as we're going to go in-depth with Georgia, this year's Georgia class, John, doesn't seem to be... Slightly underwhelming, right? Yeah, as deep and as dynamic as what we've seen in previous years. So that's why I'm going to be very curious to see what Seth has to say because, you know, when you think about Georgia, you think about the Alabama classes and they usually go neck-to-neck. -neck. But this year's class, perhaps at least on paper, I don't think it's a stretch to say maybe they're lacking what we've seen in previous years. I did not hear Alabama yesterday. I know you guys did the Alabama spot yesterday. What was your one or two major takeaways from that before we get to Seth? Well, I think the defensive lineman that they have certainly is what headlines that group. Quinn and Williams, it goes without saying. Anyone John, that he was really high on that maybe you were not as, you know, didn't know as much about the guy or wasn't as excited about him before the spot as opposed to after? Well, he did mention a few guys that to me— I want to bring up the list here so that I can be exact. Jonah Williams, he was not very high on. That, that's uh, important really? to note. Yeah, thought that he was better on the right side than the left side and doesn't necessarily know that he's going to transition well to the left so side he, the he might play guard even in the NFL then, huh? I don't know if he necessarily said that, but just okay. wasn't very optimistic. The one guy he was very high on, and this is why I brought up the list, Christian Miller. 
Christian Miller, who was hurt, if you remember. Remember I told you yesterday, that's the guy I wanted you to talk to him about? That's, yes. who I'm, that's who I'm kind of fascinated by. He was very high on Christian Miller. That's a name to watch. The edge rusher, who had really good production, by the way, from a statistical standpoint. I had 11 sacks this past season. And, and in limited snaps, too, yes. which is why it's interesting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He's not necessarily an every-down player, but he got hurt towards the tail end, and he actually wasn't in in the four-team playoffs. So that's a reason why perhaps his stock is not as high. All right, let's get to our guest at Seth Emerson. He joined us last year, gave us great information on the Georgia Bulldogs. Now he'll do so again this year. He's with The Athletic. Seth, you got John Schmelk and Lance Meadow here in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Thanks for being with us again this year. How's everything going? It's going well down here in Georgia. Excellent. Uh, And Lance and I were just talking about it. Um, It seems like you don't have quite the number of top 15, top 20 blue chip guys coming out of Georgia this year that we've seen in the past. Are there just a bunch of underclassmen in the pipeline that are going to blow this program up in a couple of years, which always seems to happen? Yeah, Jake Fromm, the quarterback, is going to be kind of a polarizing guy over the next year, as in isn't he a definite junior coming out, high quarterback there with Tua Tagovailoa and Justin Herbert, or or is he a four-year guy? Is he not a legitimate NFL prospect? But once you get past him, They've got a running back, DeAndre Swift, who will be in that first-round territory. He's kind of a Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb type. Um, you got Andre, Andrew Thomas, who's probably going to be a first-round offensive lineman. They've got a bunch of guys on defense. They've got some other offensive linemen. Uh, they are stacked. And, and they're deep this year. Uh, I know we're about to get into the 2019 draft, but I will say, you're right. They don't have even a guaranteed first-rounder if DeAndre Baker's not guaranteed anymore. And they may not have as many second-rounders. I think that's going to depend on a lot of guys. But they still have a legit chance to break the program record for number of players drafted, hmm. which right now is eight. Well, that's very interesting to watch. I'm glad you brought up DeAndre Baker because I want to start there, Seth. And you know, I was looking over the fact that since 2017, he has not surrendered a touchdown, and he has five interceptions. Now, the reason I bring up that statistic, Seth, is that a reflection? Because normally sometimes in college you have guys that are on an island like Darrell Rivas. They just don't throw to them as opposed to them being very good at what they do. So can you provide a little bit more context on that statistic? Is that a reflection of teams just didn't want to throw towards DeAndre Baker, or is it a reflection on, hey, he's a shutdown corner, they look to lock him up with the best opposing wide receiver, receiver and he does his thing well i think it's kind of a combination of both 2018 it was more teams didn't want to throw about him at him because they knew about him yeah that was established he's like this guy's a preseason all-american he did turn out to be an all-american and they actually moved baker around the field a little more to try and make him follow the other team's best receiver so they kind of forced teams to throw a little bit at him but teams were reluctant to do it still 2017, which was his breakout year, that was his first full year as a starter, his junior year, that kind of happened gradually. It kind of happened to where, and and what Georgia did in that scheme was they had him line up on one side of the field pretty much all the time, and it was the left side, as in the right side was the one where Alabama scored on second and 26 national championship, not (laughs) Baker's side. But with Baker, what happened his junior year is it it, it happened very gradually. We kind of get to the latter half of the season and you're looking at it and you're going hey wait a second has baker given up a touchdown at all it's like and and whenever the other team completes a pass you never see number 18 in the screen as in he he just has doesn't have anything done against him and, and he was not a he was not one of these five-star recruits they seem to be getting all the time he was a three-star recruit 
out of Miami, um, but he, he just got kind of lost in the shuffle recruiting wise. And, you know, even though his father was Antonio Brown's or his high school coach was Antonio Brown's father, he just wasn't a big name. And he just kind of gradually became this superstar cornerback at Georgia. That's very interesting. And I know Georgia plays very, um, a lot of NFL schemes. Was he in man to man a lot or yeah. was he in mostly zone? Uh, they would mix it up. They mix it up a lot. Um, like I said, they, they tried to follow him around. To, to have him assigned to the other team's best uh, receiver. But what was happening last year for Georgia was they were starting a true freshman on the other side, so mm-hmm. other teams, mainly LSU. Now, here's the other thing is I didn't know what other off, uh, offenses were doing a lot of the time. They weren't attacking Georgia. They were actually throwing to Baker a little bit more than they should um, rather than attacking the other side of the field or the middle of the field. Uh, but – they had ended up the smart teams when the teams that had really good receivers like LSU, they would attack the other side of the field because there was a true freshman and Georgia was in man most of the time um, mixing in some cover too. Interesting. And I think the only thing I'll follow up and you mentioned he was a three-star recruit that actually, and I'm not sure maybe, maybe you follow me on this. That actually makes me feel better about his less than, you know, tremendous, combine timings because I think it makes sense usually the top athletes are right. that, that get the five-star rating right he just seems to know how to play the position from a technique standpoint yeah I mean we seem to be moving in the direction here where where more teams like look at quarterback where they're looking at what Baker Mayfield did in college they're looking at what Kyler Murray did in college and, and you're seeing that more and more and it may be kind of making its way around to other positions too and that's that's the way I, I look at it. I'm like, I'm, I, look, I've, I've covered plenty of players here at Georgia that have blown up at the combine because they had those measurables. And you're kind of like, all right, I get it. Good for him. He's making some money on draft day. But his second and third contract, if they, he gets one, is not going to be that good because he didn't produce here. Baker's the opposite. He's not going to wow with a 40. He's, he's not super tall. Um, his interviews are going to be good but not great. You know, he's kind of a quiet kid mm-hmm. but you just look at what he did on the field and you're like yeah i'd put him on my team and by the way the giants drafted one of those georgia guys that blew up the combine last year and he actually had a pretty good rookie year so we'll see how he does on contract number two and number three in lorenzo carter indeed who right. branched out well, really in the second half of the season. In college too i mean yeah, exactly. he, was a, he was a three-year yep. starter you know he that was a guy that you know that that was the guy who backed up what he did at the combine with what he did on the field 100 percent we're talking with Seth Emerson, who covers the Georgia football team for the Athletics. Seth, you brought up that Baker's 5'11", and the reason I bring that up, and you've seen more games than necessarily I have in terms of the size of the wide receivers that he's been matched up with, how much of a concern is that? Clearly, he gets to the NFL level. He's going to go up against 6'2", 6'3", wideouts. How much is the size disparity you think a concern as he makes the transition from Georgia to the pros? He's faced lots of tall receivers. Uh, Texas, well, he didn't play against Texas, but he faced tall receivers against Missouri. Uh, They had some trees. Uh, He faced Alabama a couple times, not necessarily tall guys, but fast guys. I mean, there there was – he plays in the SEC, boys. You know, (laughs) you're you're, you're playing against a lot of tall, athletic, speedy guys. 
I, I want to go to the defensive line here and go to DeAndre Walker. Uh, there's a chance he might even get picked before Baker, I think. I think it'll be close. Uh, do you categorize him more as a, as a stand-up rusher that, that maybe isn't going to put his hand on the ground as much? How do you see his skill set translating to the pro level in terms of how Georgia used him on that line of scrimmage? You, you do feel like that he's not the biggest guy, he's not the widest guy, so stand-up I would, I would tend to think is his best route. He's, he's more in that Lorenzo Carter uh, frame, and, you know, that's who he was behind, and that's why he didn't start his first three games. He didn't start a game from his freshman, sophomore to junior year, mm. and he was more known as this guy that uh, on special teams would keep drawing penalties because he was just a little too energetic. Uh, <laughs> I think he, he led in 15-yard penalties like roughing the punter and whatnot, stuff like that. Not, you know, um, wasn't that he was Smart had to sit down and talk to him about it at one point. And then he becomes a starter senior year, and he, he does what he was supposed to do. He, he, you know, they don't ask in Georgia's system these guys to produce a lot of sacks or even a lot of hurries. There are a lot of times, and, and this probably goes for the NFL too, although with the NFL is so much more pass-happy now that you, you, the edge rusher, you really do want them to be more disruptive in the actual pocket in the backfield. But at Georgia, what they like, their outside linebackers, their edge guys that do a lot of the times is to mush rush, if you know what I mean. Like just kind of not, not necessarily make a break for the quarterback. Yeah, but contain. Have contain. Yeah, have contain. And they sacrifice stats for the good of the scheme a lot. And DeAndre Walker fell in that category as well. And, and I think what you're seeing, it, it, it's interesting that his draft stock is kind of staying where it is considering he hasn't really done much this offseason. He missed the Sugar Bowl with a lingering groin issue. Um, I think he ended up having surgery for it. He didn't do anything at the Pro Day, didn't do anything at the Combine, sat out in the Senior Bowl. But he, he did enough film-wise that senior year that uh, teams like what they're seeing. In terms of his ability to be utilized in coverage versus stopping the run, where would you qualify his main strength is overall as a linebacker? Yeah, I, I think he can do that too. Um, I, kind of similar to Lorenzo Carter. They, they had him drop back into coverage when he needed to. He was not one-dimensional. Not, I think that it's, you know, it's not ideal. You don't want him running out there against a, a speedster, but he can line up with a tight end who goes out there. He can... He can line up with with a receiver on a short route and, and you know do his you know hold his own out there. I mean that's where I mean he'll have to because he's not the biggest guy like we said. He's not going to be a start with his hand on the ground uh, in a down lineman position. Start his his rush. He's going to be more of a stand up guy. But he he's definitely got the athleticism at his size. All right, I'm going to jump to the wide receivers here because I think it's funny. You cannot have two polar opposite guys and Riley Ridley and Nicole Hardman in terms of how they go about their business yeah. and get their catches. They're really two different players, huh? Yeah, I mean, well, Riley Ridley's basically been a – it seems like a receiver since birth, uh, <laughs> obviously with the pedigree with his, with his brother, um, whereas Nicole Hardman did not play the position even in high school until his sophomore year at Georgia. It was about halfway through spring practice of 2017, I guess, that they finally moved him over. And he, so far, the last two years, has just kind of done what he's done based on innate abilities at receiver and speed. He's still learning some of the finer points of the receiver position, and I think if you draft him, number one, 
you're, you're drafting a little bit more on potential, as in he still has a lot of upside uh, as he learns the receiver position, but number two also for his special teams abilities, uh, punt return and kick return. So I, I think he's a very intriguing talent, whereas Riley Ridley is kind of your, your more traditional receiver uh, you're, you're drafting for, for that kind of, you know, I, I think he pro- I think he projects pretty well as a number two receiver uh, for a lot of systems. I think the big question mark about Ridley, because when you think of his brother, you think about what he did for the Falcons, maybe stretch the field, be that vertical threat. You know, how would you classify Riley Ridley? Because from what I've seen, from what I've read, Seth, it doesn't seem like people give him any credit for his ability to run after the catch or really stretch the field, more of a possession type of receiver. How fair of a synopsis is that? I, I, he, I, I can, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but I remember several plays, uh, him running down the field when he was a freshman. I don't know how closely y'all follow it. This was during Kirby Smart's first year. Um, and so they only went eight and five, but they lost a game to Tennessee when Tennessee hit a Hail Mary at the, on the last play of the game, mm-hmm. um, over Lorenzo Carter, as he will tell you to his chagrin. <laughs> but that was set up when Jacob Eason, who we're probably going to be talking about this time next year for the draft, hit Riley Ridley deep down the left sideline for, a, I think it was a 55-yard touchdown where Ridley streaked down the left side and beat his man. So, yeah, he can do that. I mean, he made some, he made some deep plays. So a few more are coming to mind, too. I think an Auburn game, uh, 2017 springs to mind, where he made a play like that. Maybe it was 2016. But, no, I mean, he, he could do stuff. He just, uh, you know, he, he – Maybe it doesn't seem like it compared to a guy like Miko Hardman, who's a you know four 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 three type, who's got that track speed um, and can you know he, he's going to make those kind of plays out of the slot and streaking down on on go patterns. But but Ridley can do that too. Okay, I want to jump to the tight end position. Isaac Nada, someone who when I was heading to the combine, people were whispering to me second round. You know, looked really good. Georgia spread the ball around. His numbers are depressed. Same thing for Ridley and Harbin. By the way, they just sort of so many different guys and so many guys play right. as, as receivers. But boy, his numbers at the combine I know scared a lot of people off. Were you were you surprised when you saw how poor some of his athletic testing was after the the year he put together for Georgia last year? A little bit. He's a guy that was always known as this game-breaker type tight end on the college level. I mean, he was a five-star recruit. He was a guy that when he came in, they were like, ooh, this is just such a weapon. A guy who has the, you know, he, he's, he's faster than the linebackers that would cover him and bigger than the, than the defensive backs that would put on him. He's just mismatch all over the field. And he came into his own as a blocker. Uh, you know, George is one of those schemes that, has and I'm working on a long-range story about how the fullback is kind of disappearing from college football because a lot of programs like Georgia are just asking their tight end to take on those fullback responsibilities. And I right. Nauta got better at that and, and did that as a junior. I could see where, just talking about in football terms, measurables, I did in the bench press, 40, everything, you know, that's one thing. I could see where you look at the NFL level and say, okay, as much as he was a mismatch at the college level, will he – be able to replicate that at the NFL level and I think that is the question I would point out that against Alabama's defense full of NFL prospects as we know uh, I not did have a good game uh, in the SEC championship this past year he had a long catch and run uh, when Georgia was leading 28-14 they couldn't quite finish it off um, or else Georgia won that game 
But, yeah, I, I, I do see where he could only be a mid-round to even late-round guy if, if teams are concerned about where he is as far as a mismatch for NFL teams. Seth, when you look at his numbers, it's interesting. Freshman year, heavily involved, seemed to be a smooth transition from high school to college. Sophomore year, numbers dipped. He only had nine catches. And then all of a sudden, last year, the numbers go back to respectability as it was his freshman year. What do you credit to or attribute, I should say, to what may have happened that sophomore year, why his numbers dipped? Was that usage or some other factor that played a role? A little bit, a little bit usage. You know, the ball was spread around so much. It becomes such a, a thing around here um, among fans. Like, why don't they throw the tight end more? Why don't they throw the tight end more? And I say, well, who are you going to take the ball away from? Uh, they, they're throwing it pretty well to the receivers. They're throwing it pretty well to DeAndre Swift, Sony Michelle out of the backfield. Um, but yeah, so I think you incurred some of that. You, you never heard things like this guy drops the ball. Uh, that was not the issue with Naude. It was it was more just where they run in place for him. And, you know, he, he, these tight ends were more involved in the run game and in pass pro as well because, like I said, they don't use the fullback anymore. But I will say if it, a simplistic answer on Isaac Nauta is when he was a freshman, he and Jacob Eason came in together to Georgia as freshmen, and they just had that, you know, they, they had that, just connection, mental connection. I could remember some plays where, you know, Eason would just be looking and waiting for Nauta to get open, and they seem to be of one mind. Eason goes down, and another freshman quarterback comes in. Jake Fromm doesn't have that same connection with Nauta, so you see his numbers go down as a sophomore. Then they go back up as a junior when Fromm is a sophomore, second year as a starter, and, and maybe has a little bit better rapport with Nauta. We're joined by Seth Emerson, covers Georgia for The Athletic. I want to do one more quick follow-up on Riley Ridley, and then we'll kind of rapid-fire the rest of the prospects with you here, Seth. Uh, you know, even before the combine and his numbers came up, people worried about his speed and his ability to separate. I know, just like his brother, he's a tremendous route runner. Did you see him able to get consistent separation in Georgia, whether it was on, on intermediate routes or even on deeper routes down the field? Could he get that separation, which is really at that size, what NFL talent evaluators are looking for? Not watching that closely right. in terms of jamming and separation, um, but I, I think so. I mean, he, he has he's one of those guys with deceiving height, as in he seems like he's taller than he really is. He, on the field, he looks like he's a six-foot-three you know, going back to Michael Irvin type and whatever. And, and Calvin Ridley plays the same way. You think he's taller, and then you just kind of look at the the roster and it's like, oh, he's not that tall, technically. Yeah. And, and part of that is when you're able to be more physical as a player than it would seem you would be for your height. And so I, I think that is a credit to, to Riley. I, I didn't hear many concerns about his, his physicality. Uh, he was not one of the main blockers as a receiver, um, but that – was possibly because they were using other guys to block and get help Riley really get open. When you look at the remaining prospects on the list, one name that I think is interesting, just because he's been labeled Seth as a tweener and also had some off-the-field issues early in his career, is Jonathan Ledbetter, who's labeled right now as a defensive end. Where do you see his upside and his best fit position-wise at the next level? He's he's a he's a D lineman. Uh, he, he's you know, he occasionally worked with the edge guys, but he's he's too big to to you know start with his hands off the ground. Um, Character wise, I wouldn't have any 
worries about that. All that stuff happened a while ago. Um, I think he's been pretty open with it. It was it was clearly just a you know he had an alcohol problem and, and a substance problem, and and he was sent to treatment and got through it. And last two years was really one of the leaders of this team, one of the guys that Kirby Smart relied on to you know, go out and talk to the media, go talk to players and everything. So you, you shouldn't worry about that. Um, I, I think he's a – I don't know if he's an inside defensive lineman. I, probably not big enough for that. Um, outside, I think he could play there a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a mid to late round guy, but um, good character kid and and somebody that you could you could count on for – you know, a few snaps if, if you really needed them. We're joined by Seth Emerson, covers Georgia for the Athletics. Seth, I want to jump over uh, to another one of the players here that could go in the mid-rounds, and that's Lamont Gilliard, who's played center, right, yeah. played a little guard, seems like a good versatile <laughs> offensive lineman. You don't hear his name a lot when you talk about the offensive line class in in this year's draft. What should NFL teams expect from him? Yeah, I mean, in terms of versatility, that started from the beginning. He signed with Georgia as a defensive lineman and played here for about a year and a half as a defensive lineman and then switched to the O-line, and you're thinking, all right, well, that usually is the kiss of death for his career. He's going to be transferring pretty soon. <laughs> Instead, it stuck. He ended up being a starter as a redshirt sophomore uh, at guard, moved to center, and was the center on the, the Rose Bowl national championship team, and then last year was the center again. And you know, just kind of the, one of those guys that quietly does his job. And I, I talked to some scouts and some analysts who watch film and said this guy was criminally underrated. Uh, they went from early in 2017 thinking that their interior line was going to be a weakness and a big problem to that not being that much of a problem. They were, I mean, look, they have a lot of talent on that offensive line right now, but the last two years with Lamont Galliard at center, they had two 1,000-yard rushers each, and then yeah. four separate people rushed for 1,000 yards over the last two years. Some of that credit goes to Lamont Gallier. Yeah, and the other thing is I'm sitting here as someone who has covered Georgia and saw David Andrews go undrafted and now has yeah. you know, got two rings with the Patriots. So I, I, if David Andrews could do it, and I frankly I kind of thought he could, but I wasn't convinced. Um, but if he could do it, Lamont Gallier can too. Well, and you brought up the rushing attack, and yes, it's always nice when you have Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle to lean on if you're Georgia. So those two guys move on to the NFL, and Elijah Hollyfield moves up the depth chart, the son of Evander Hollyfield, the notable boxer. I've read that many people don't look at him as somebody that could be a workhorse at the next level. More so as a backup, maybe a first down, second down back. Hasn't been utilized as a receiver, too. Where, where do you see him fitting in if a team wanted to take a flyer on him and work him into the rotation in the backfield? Yeah, I, I think I see him as, and yeah, considering he's played here with Chubb and Michelle and DeAndre Swift, who we're going to be talking about next year as a first-round pick, it, it's tough uh, to you know for Holyfield to shine compared to those guys but I, I see him as somebody that if I were an NFL GM I'd be content to go into a season with as my number two or number three running back and if something happened to the first guy you'd just roll out there with Holyfield and say all right son see what you can do I mean he was a four-star recruit he was he was a good player he wasn't you know given a scholarship here just because of his daddy's name um, they weren't going to do that he, he, he was I remember as a true freshman looking at him 
and seeing, man, this guy's chiseled, <laughs> just, yeah. just chiseled. And, and, and I thought, to his credit, before his junior year when we had really seen him much because it had all been Michelle, Chubb, and Swift, and, and Holyfield's about to move into a bigger role entering last year. And, and I thought, look, this is more of a between-the-tackles guy, and then Swift will be the outside-the-tackles guy. Instead, when they were able to give the ball to Holyfield on the outside, uh, he, he could do it. He, he had some breakaways. He could get to the edges. So he showed that speed, too. So I, I, I think he's got some – I think he's got some upside too, especially a guy that you know he, he doesn't also have a lot of tread on those tires because he didn't play much as a freshman and sophomore. So maybe that'll help him a little bit in the eyes of some people. All right, finally, Seth, and we're joined by Seth Emerson, covers Georgia for the Athletic. Three more guys on our list here that could get drafted: uh, Natrez Patrick, the inside linebacker; Terry Godwin, and Nick Moore, uh, the long snapper. And obviously, the long snapper usually those guys are undrafted free agents. You can get them after the draft is over. Patrick or Godwin? Are, th- are these guys draftable players? Uh, how do you think draft night's going to go for them? And, and and give us a quick thumbnail on both those guys. Yeah, um, on Patrick, he he was not invited to the combine. Uh, he was a guy you might have been a little bit surprised he wasn't, but he he went from as a freshman. They were about to play Georgia Tech, and they had an inside linebacker starter get suspended and the next guy up was Natrez Patrick rather than Roquan Smith so that's how good he was as a freshman that's how highly regarded he was wow and then Roquan went on to be what he was and Natrez just kind of you know he ran into a lot of off-field problems um just several marijuana incidents and arrests and you know I mean it's it's, it's marijuana it's what it is it's not you know it's not a career ender by any means he just couldn't stop doing it um he went into treatment last year uh missed the playoff run um and then was there the whole year this year uh they were able to count on him but he still wasn't a full-time starter by this point so yeah i mean well whether he'll get drafted or not not sure um he's definitely in that sixth seventh round possibly undrafted area and the other one is terry godwin who actually finishes his career as Georgia's 11th leading receiver of all time, um, at least in receiving yards. He was their second leading receiver as a freshman, sophomore, and junior. And then as a senior, ended up, I think, fifth or sixth in receiving because of guys like Ridley and Hardman and Nauta taking bigger roles. Um, But Godwin had some huge catches. He had this hugely athletic catch uh, at Notre Dame, basically game-winning catch. I think it was in the third quarter um, for a touchdown. And he, he can make plays. I mean, he's, he's a slot guy, uh, and he can maybe return some punts. He did that here, and he would have done it more if Hardman wasn't around. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, he's somebody you could see being out of the league pretty quickly. He's also somebody you could see if in the right situation um, could actually surprisingly stick around a while because of what he showed here in terms of that, that speed and that catching ability. Seth, good stuff, man. We really appreciate the time. We look forward to having you on next year, and we'll talk about Mr. Swift as a potential first-rounder and anybody else coming out of that excellent program down there in Georgia. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon, all right? Yeah, thanks a lot, Seth. All right, guys. Thank you. Take care. And remember, we had Seth on last year. He told us about Lorenzo Carter. Ended up being here. So it's a really, really, really good football school. And the funny thing about it, Lance, you look at these guys, and they're good players, and they did well in college. Georgia players had issues at the Combine this year, which usually you don't think for an SEC program, but... Riley Ridley didn't perform as well as a lot of people thought he would. Um, we mentioned uh, Nada did yeah, not tight end. perform as well as people thought he would. So it was one of those years, and then DeAndre Walker wasn't there. So it was one of those years where 
usually for those SEC schools, they shine when it comes to, you know, the combine and stuff like that. Didn't happen with Georgia players this year. Well, but I thought it was interesting that Seth brought up when we were talking about DeAndre Baker off the top that he could maybe not be a guy that jumps off the page, to your point, with the measurements, but can wind up carving out like a 10-year NFL career. Only a three-star recruit, so... Because he'll get the second and the third contract, whereas some of these other guys who could just jump right out of the arena or the stadium, teams go so googly-eyed over them that they draft them high, and then all of a sudden they play out their rookie contract and they don't warrant the second deal. So, you know, that's another way to look at a prospect, whether or not you're finding that glue guy, which to me is the term that I thought of when he described Terry Godwin, the wide receiver at the end, versus maybe the flashy guy like... Hardman, who's got the upside because yeah. of the special teams playing. Who knows? For all we know, Godwin could carve out a longer career than Hardman when it's all said and done. Yeah, Baker and Ridley are similar to me in that neither guy wowed from a performance perspective in terms of their uh, physical stats at the combine and all the runs and stuff like that, but both of them proved to be very, very good football players. All right, let's do it. It's all presented to you by Coors Light, 201-939-4513. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Bill in Brooklyn will lead us off. Hello, Bill. Hey, how you doing? Doing well, um, Bill. What's up? I, I did some uh, digging into Gettleman's draft history of his first three rounds. Yep. And I pulled out some pretty interesting stuff. I don't know if you want to hear. A lot of guys up front. But what do you got for us, Bill? Okay, so only twice in the first three rounds did Gettleman draft a player who was not noted as a above-average athletically, going back to 2013. How would you rate them as above-average yeah. athletically? I, went through, I went through all their pre-draft scouting reports. So okay. Every, like, they all had above-average athlete, well, some above-average physical Well, Bill, I, I, Bill, honestly, though, I mean, I think you go around the NFL, I don't think many people pick below-average athletes yeah. in the first two, right, three right. rounds of the draft, you know? Totally. I mean, yep. that, you're just talking about Baker. I thought that would be interesting. No, that is. That is. I appreciate um, it. 80% of the time, they're above-average height. The only time he doesn't pick above-average height is for interior linemen. And 70% of the time, they're above-average weight outside of edge and running back. Okay. So that's interesting. This, so, like... I don't know. It's interesting. You can really see a trend. I mean, that's sort of what they say about him, right? Like he likes the likes the freaks. Well, Shaq Thompson is a guy that comes to mind when he was in Carolina. You know, he was a, right. a freak athlete. You know, Saquon Barkley certainly is a freak athlete. Lorenzo Christian Carter. McCaffrey, mm -hmm. I would say, is also a really good athlete. So yeah, I mean that. I think Kawan Short and Kawan um, Short Delay, right? Too. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Star. Yeah. So I mean, all of those, I think fall in line with that but you know as John was mentioning I think he he's certainly emphasized the trenches but he's tr he's uh, he's emphasized the defensive side of the trenches much more so early in the draft than the offensive lineman because Trey Turner who is one of to me his best finds on the offensive line was a third round pick and then you could argue Andrew Norwell who was an undrafted player so he hasn't the trend has not been to necessarily go after an offensive lineman very early in the draft. If anything, right. it's been more of the tail end of the second and the third round. Though last year he did pick Will Hernandez right. top of the second round. He did, round. yes. Yeah. No, that, that, that's a fair point. But I'm, I'm looking at more so his Carolina days. It was really defensive linemen early, right. much more so than offensive And, of course, linemen. we'd have to look at what offensive linemen were available. Of course, it's be all relative. Too, yeah. so. mm -hmm. Right, yeah, and there actually were a couple great years for uh, t tackles. And that's the other thing. He's never drafted a tackle or a center in the top three rounds. Well, Taylor Moten, a lot of people projected him as a guard, but he did play tackle at Western Michigan. Yeah, that sounds right, Western Michigan, he was, and he is and he is right. starting at tackle for Carolina now. And he was a second round pick, so that that's the only one that you could kind of say eh, maybe he was a tackle. Right. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. All right, Bill. Yeah. Appreciate the Good phone stuff. Call. And you know he did pick wide receivers. 
twice early. And DJ Moore obviously wasn't there for that. But Curtis Samuel was a second-round pick who was kind of like a slash you know, player, did a little running back stuff, did what receiver yeah, stuff. Not, of all trades. Not traditional. But the funny thing, very different type of player than the other wide receiver he picked in the second round, Devin Funches, who's a big, slower, physical guy. So he has picked two very different types of wide receivers in round two. Well, and then Kelvin Benjamin, who he took the year before Funches. So mm-hmm. yeah. he went two straight years when he went after the taller type of wide receiver. And he receiver. was a first-round pick. Yes, Benjamin was a first-round pick, and we know how that panned out. He's been moved around and so forth throughout the NFL. So now you could argue Carolina was also moving away from Steve Smith at that time. It was a little bit more of a need. Not saying that it's not a need now, but does that become a priority to go after a taller wide receiver that early in the draft? I don't know. I think that you could probably find more value in a defensive line yeah, or a pass rusher, I would think, of this year's draft. I was just talking history. No, he, has, he has been yeah. willing to... Willing yeah. to pull the trigger on a wide receiver early. I know uh, Lance Zierlein, who we'll try to have on the show next couple of weeks, he tried to come out at the combine. He just had too much going on. Um, he does a lot of those great scouting reports you'll find on the NFL Draft Tracker. And he came out with his mock draft this morning. He had DK Metcalf going to the Giants at 6, which I would be surprised by myself. Let's go to Joe in Pennsylvania. He's up next. What's up, Joe? Hi, guys. Uh, uh I just watching your in here in the draft there, the Giants to me the biggest needs and everybody is. Inside. Are you on speakerphone, Joe? Can you get me now? Now you sound now. better. There Sounds we go. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I'm just saying the Giants biggest needs here in the draft, you know, I think is edge rusher and if we want to go for that quarterback, it just seems to me. And and I did see uh Haskin here. I did watch his uh pro day. The guy really has great size. And, you know, they were showing him, you know, moving in the pocket and he can make all the throws and that and that. The analyst spoke afterwards and they were comparing him, his size and mobility like to Steve McNair or to even Ben Roethlisberger I don't moving think he, in the pocket. I don't think he moves as well as Steve McNair did. To me, he's a very similar player to Josh Rosen last year. I think both those guys are very, very, very similar. Well, however, whatever, but he's 21, and they say he has a great upside. You know? Sure he does. Yeah, so, I don't yeah. think that's crazy to say. Absolutely. Uh, uh, okay, uh, but I'm just looking at being the Giants here. If we won him, and I'm, they were saying, well, maybe his pro day is going to push other like teams like Washington or the Dolphins I, to go up and get him. I think so, teams already know what they're going to get out of Haskins. They're maybe going to want to speak to him via an interview and have him in for a private workout. And someone might trade up but, for him, but it's not going to be because yeah, of how he threw it, it on yeah, his pro it's day. It's not going to be because of him throwing through air at the pro day, Joe. Okay, yeah. but this is the way my looking at it, like if I'm the Giants. Am I wrong doing this here saying, uh, okay, we like Haskins, we want edge rush our defense too. Is it is it better if they go up above us and bid a, instead of us going up and worrying about going reaching for him or giving up draft picks for him and going higher? Stay where we're at. If nobody goes up after him, they, uh, uh, find him, we take him. But if not, if we like them, but but if they go ahead of us, good. Then then that brings more defensive players for us in our hand, a quality player. Am I wrong in that thinking? Yeah, Joe. Look honestly, and and, and thanks for the call. I appreciate uh, it. One yeah. other thing, yeah. I mm-hmm. am very happy they shut, signed Cody Latimer back. Yes, nobody yes. matched him. He to me when he's out in the field, he makes Should've all the that. all the plays, one hand plays, and, uh, and Paul and everybody keeps talking about them back shoulder throws. I think if they work with him, I. 
I see no no reason he can't do that. So fair enough. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, unfortunately, he just wasn't healthy thanks, for Joe. the majority of the season. And uh, thanks for the phone call. And now Joe, you have him so. and Benny Fowler both back in the mix. Yep. Indeed. And both guys have a track record with Tyke Tolbert, the wide receivers coach, because they were in Denver with him. Look, the Giants have so many needs, Lance. I would be, unless you're talking moving from round four to round three, because you're trying to find a, a quality player that has kind of slipped through the cracks a little bit. First and second round, even with their third round pick that they own from the Patriots, which is 95th overall, I would not move up. Make your, make your pick or trade back. Yeah, I, um, uh, they have too many needs, and that I understand. No one understands more than I do how important a quarterback is. I've been advocating it for a couple years now, but I don't think Haskins is the level of a player that you would go and and move your seventeenth overall pick to move up a couple spots to get him. I I personally would not do that. Well, I, I think in Joe's latter situation, if the Giants stay at six and then he's on the board at that time, I mean, it's something to think about without having to move. I'm not saying you should give up assets. If he's there, something to think about. But, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't think the Giants should be so quick to say, let's package 17 and 6 to make a massive move, knowing you can get two very good players at 6 and 17 on top of what you already gained. Remember, the whole point of parting ways with Odell Beckham is to gain more resources so that you can bring in players to fill multiple voids across the board and not necessarily just have one prolific player on your roster. I feel good. Or I feel okay about picking Haskins if he's there at six. I don't feel great about it. You know, it's not like if, if you know, if Sam Darnold's in there at six, I go sprint to the podium or Baker Mayfield and I hand it in. I don't feel the same way about Haskins. Murray, I think I'd probably feel better about it. I would think. Well, but it, to me, again, I just don't think these guys are... And I was having this conversation off air with somebody uh, this morning... And just talking about it, that I think every year the top quarterbacks in the class all get talked about the same, regardless of how maybe they rank overall. Like, not every top quarterback's Andrew Luck. You know what I mean? You, of course. And I think sometimes they get, it gets conflated by people like that sometimes, you know? 100%. That's why the big question that I think for most executives is, if these guys were in a different class, where would you put them? Right. You have to ask mm -hmm. that question because you may have access to picking the best quarterback of this year's class, John, but you then have to provide additional context. If he's still fifth or sixth on the list compared to other recent classes, are you really maximizing the value of your draft pick? Yeah. Or are you just yeah. basically settling and saying, oh, we're going to walk away with the best quarterback in this year's class? Doesn't mean that he has the same upside as previous number one rated quarterbacks in other years. So that's an important dialogue and conversation to have. All I'm saying is, is that if you don't have to move and he's still on the board, it's something to think about. That's what I believe, that I think the Giants should at least have dialogue, conversation. Hey, right. how do we all feel? Are we all on board? And if you're not, and you're not animated about the quarterbacks, then you take the next closest sure thing, and you could certainly point to a variety of other positions. See, for example, and this is kind of how I'll explain it, the way I kind of look at it right now. If I'm sitting there at six, and this is probably unrealistic because a lot of weird things would have to happen, but if Haskins is there, but also one of Josh Allen, Quinn and Williams, or Nick Bosa is there, I would take one of the three elite defensive players instead of Haskins. If it ha if it's Haskins though, Versus. or Montez Sweat and Brian Burns and Jawan Taylor, then I would be okay with Haskins because I think 
And this is what Dave Gettleman said at the Combine, how, yeah, the quarterback's a priority, and a quarterback automatically gets a little bit of a boost, right, because of positional value. But, you know, Bosa, Haskins, Williams, Haskins, right? But Sweat, Haskins. Maybe Sweat's a little bit higher graded, but I think they're so close that That the position value gives you the elevation. You know what I mean? And that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, and, I mean, Bosa and Williams, you bring them into the mix— you can certainly argue that that's going to fill a need and it's going to be a player that would come in day one and I think have an immediate impact on this franchise. So that'd be very hard to pass up on. I don't think Bosa's going to be there, no, but I know neither. it was a hypothetical. Yes. And I would say I'd be surprised if Williams is there too, to be honest with you. So The only reason I think Williams could be there is that sometimes defensive tackles drop. That's fair. And people overvalue the edge rusher as opposed to the inside pass. Yeah, I just think he's a unique tackle. No argument for me, dude. You know, I, no, I know Williams. I don't have to sell you on him. So, you know, yes, you're right. I think edge rusher gets valued over nose tackle, but I think he's not your typical space eater and just watch and see everybody else be active. Like, would you be blown away shocked if Montez Sweat got picked before Quinn Williams? No, I would not be blown away or shocked. Neither would. And I think he's got upside connected to him, too. I, I actually like Sweat a lot. I'm not saying that well, I would so value I. him over, right. but— I could see a team saying the same thing. Hey, especially the way he performed at the combine. Yep. He has the numbers. He has the production. Now I don't know about this. Experience. You know about the report about the medical condition. I can't speak to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, Leonard Williams dropped. He was supposed to be the top overall pick. The Jets got him what sixth, fifth that year, whatever it was. I think it was sixth, yeah. So you never know with inside guys. But again, I was just throwing out a very unlikely hypothetical. Daniel in Colorado is up next. He wants to continue the conversation on the QBs. What's up, Daniel? Hello, Schmetto. How are you guys doing? <laughs> We're doing good, doing right. Daniel. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Hey, guys, uh, I don't know that I'll get to call in uh, again for a little while, so I'll, yeah, go ahead. hopefully I can sque- squeeze in a little bit here. Sure. Um, you know, for, first up, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that we load up on D and worry a little less about the quarterback, but that's, you know, I mean, everybody knows that we need to eventually get a replacement for Eli. But yep. Uh, but then again, you know, we're you know all teams are looking for a replacement for their quarterback, even if they've got a good quarterback. So I, I think you know Eli kind of has been the scapegoat and gets you know some bad press and, and whatnot. But uh, but that aside, um, I kind of wanted to talk about the quarterback situation a little bit. I should be talking more about the D. Talk about whatever <laughs> you want, I Daniel. Load up on D, but uh, I, I, I keep hearing that that next year's class is going to be a better class of quarterbacks. That's what they say, but who and, knows? I mean, you know, who knows? But, I mean, do you guys have any insight? I mean, I've heard a couple of names, you know, Justin Herbert. And, yeah, from and, Oregon. Uh, I can't remember the other guy from, uh, who's, who's supposed to be a stud. But, yeah, you, you're I mean, from from Georgia and Tualilova from uh, Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. Yep, that's that's him. And so, I mean, that I mean that's just two guys. I mean, does that just really necessarily justify saying, hey, this class is better than next year's class or so on and so forth? Yeah, you know, and the other thing too, um, Daniel, you, know, you, you don't know when you're going to pick. You know, what if the Giants are picking exactly. 14th next year, and then it's hard to go up to get the guy that you like, or maybe the guy that you really like that you want. The team that's picking first also wants him. Then you can't get him at all. So it, it's hard to keep waiting because you simply don't know if you're going to be able to get the guy. That's why if you like somebody, even if he's not like your peak guy, perfect guy, you know. You almost have to take them because you just don't know when you're going to get the chance at the perfect guy. Like teams, I'm sure there's a team out there with a GM thinking, boy, I really want Trevor Lawrence, man. I really want Trevor Lawrence. Well, guess what? One team is going to have the chance 
to draft Trevor Lawrence in 2020. Who knows if that's going to be you? Yeah, you don't know or if you're going to be able to swap excuse with me. Him. Yeah. You know, the other thing, too, is in order to, you know, unless, you, unless you're the, you know, the past Cleveland Browns where every year you play for the draft um, and, you, you know, end up with the number one pick or three picks in the top five or ten or whatever they end up getting every, you know, it seems like every year, you have to have draft stock to move up. Correct. You know, and, and it's not like we have a lot of draft stock this year. We got a little bit, but we well, don't Well, they have, got it back, though. I you mean, know, with the trades, you, know, you could argue. Well, yeah, I mean, Daniel, you know, look, they, Daniel, they have, they have 12 picks this yeah. year. So the Giants have plenty of draft picks. But in my opinion, like you said, if you don't pick a quarterback this year, I think you should trade down with one or both of your first-round picks and acquire extra draft cap- capital for next year so you can go and get the player you want. Exactly. And so, you know, that kind of brings me to the other, you know, the other question I have um, is about, you know, the potential of uh, trading for Josh Rosen. I know that's kind of, we don't even know that he's technically really on the trading block. It's not right now. Right. Yeah. You know, but, you know, it's intriguing. I mean, it's certainly intriguing. I I don't know that we would give up uh, our, you know, number six or 17 for him. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe 17, Daniel, but certainly not six. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with that. You know, um, I'm, I'm you know I don't necessarily know that I love Josh Rosen, but I think he would be a, a you know certainly a good quarterback to have on the roster to you know to to build behind Eli. Um, let, me, let me put it this I, way, know, Dan. Let me put it this way. Um, like I said, I have Rosen and Haskins really really close to each other. To me, they're in the same category. If I could get Dwayne Haskins at 17 this year, I run to the podium as fast as I possibly can. So. By definition, then shouldn't I also be willing to trade that pick for Rosen if I had to? Yeah, yeah, I suppose. You know you what know, I mean? I, I suppose. I, I, I guess I can see that. And, and guys, uh, I'm gonna I'm splurge here and ask for one more uh, uh, question here. That's okay. Yep. Um, um, when evaluating quarterbacks, you know, I mean, everybody's got their own, you know, uh, decision on what they want to do as far as evaluating a quarterback. Um, I want to go back in time and ask. You know what the Giants were looking at when they picked Dave Brown, compared to, you know, what we see in quarterbacks that we've been evaluating for the last, uh, let's say, last draft, uh, last draft class and this draft class. What did we see in Dave Brown that that attracted us to him, that we might be seeing in somebody like I don't know uh, uh, Haskins or, or Drew Locke, for example, or somebody else that's out there. Well, and, um, and, well, well, Daniel, I'm I'm not trying to be funny. But the man who made that decision to draft Dave Brown isn't with us anymore. George Young passed away, and he's the guy that made that call and made that decision. And he famously operated very independently of the coaching staffs and kind of picked who he wanted, and the coaches didn't have much say in it, which is why him and Bill Parcells kind of clash so much a lot of the time. So I don't know if we're ever going to know the answer to that question, unfortunately. Well, the other thing that's important to note is Dave Brown was the number one pick in the supplemental draft, too. So he, he wasn't in the actual draft. It was the supplemental draft. And I, I don't think that should be lost in the conversation. It's one thing if you had the first overall pick in the draft and you used him. I think that's a better question. Supplemental draft, you see teams maybe take a few more risks because they think that the player, if they go into the real draft class, they wouldn't be available and so forth. So, you know, I, I think that that's a different conversation. That's just my perspective, supplemental mm, picks versus regular picks. But, yeah, it's an inexact science. I think that's the one thing we learn from all of these quarterbacks There's a high rate of unsuccessful quarterbacks that have been taken, then we always focus on the teams that hit. There's a lot of guys that missed. 
And that's more of a reason why you shouldn't just take a quarterback for the sake of taking a for quarterback. For example, Marcus Mariona and Jameis Winston were picked one and two. Are either of those guys hits? And Daniel, thanks a lot for the call. We appreciate it. I mean, I, I can't qualify him that way. I think the jury is still out, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I wouldn't call them misses, yeah. but I wouldn't call them hits. I mean, we've got to see what Bruce Arians does with Winston. Can he salvage the situation? And Mariota's just been hurt. It's a hard time staying on the field. So now that they acquired Ryan Tannehill, I'm not saying that Mariota should be concerned, but that's a sign, hey, they're bringing in somebody else because they're worried you're not going to hold up. So yeah. to me, the jury's still out with the two of them. I don't think it's necessarily a horrendous pick, but I don't think either of those teams feel, hey, we've got our guy for the next 10 years. It isn't Jamarcus Russell. No, it's not Jamarcus Russell. But it's Russell. also not Andrew Luck. Correct. It's or somewhere even Carson Wentz, yeah, for that in the land of in between, I would say. Yeah. is a good way to describe it. Yeah, but they haven't had the year uh they haven't had a year like Wentz, they haven't had a year like Goff, a year like Luck, a year like Cam Newton, who was a top pick in the draft. So, you know, year to year, it's different. It really is different. I really would like to get some clearance on exactly what the Cardinals are gonna do. Well, I don't think you're ever going to get clarity unless they make a trade tomorrow well before the draft. Well, if, if they trade Josh Rosen, we'll know. Well, that's why I said. If they right. make the trade, mm -hmm. then you're going to know. But I don't think Arizona is going to do that because, if anything, you want to continue to play the game of leverage. So at what so point I do think they pull the try trigger? to hold on to him. A week before the draft? Yeah, I would think days? as close to the draft as possible. If they truly know, and they're set after they have all their conversations, they're going to take Murray, then I would say you trade him a week before the draft. And you see what you can get and continue to have conversations because what's the rush from their perspective, no, John? They've no. got the number one pick. Yep. There's no clock. They know they're not going to lose grasp of that pick. So they could always trade Josh Rosen a few days before the draft. It wouldn't surprise me. Sean in California is up next. Hello, Sean. Hey, what's up, John? What's up, man? What's up? How we doing, Sean? I just, I just want to say, man, you guys keep me going this offseason. I, I may not call every day, but, man, I sure listen. And I thank you to that. all the Giants fans. Man, it's, sometimes I laugh so much with uh, some of the things they say. It's, just, it's awesome that we have this. Uh, you guys give us this opportunity to voice our opinions. Well, and you guys honor our opinions. And um, I just want to point a few things out there. Thank you. I'm going to start with the wide receivers fast, and then I'll go to the quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Stefan Diggs. Uh, Stefan Diggs, round five, pick 146. Tyreek Hill, round five, pick one. Well, well, Sean, Sean, the only reason Tyreek Hill went around, no, Sean, 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 the only reason Tyreek Hill went around five, as Lance just pointed out, was because of the off-the-field stuff, which now apparently is starting to show up again according to the report. So don't 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 put gotcha, him in gotcha. that same category. Yeah. But Diggs for sure, absolutely. Okay, okay. Um, now, th those are like, you know, how, how, how much, uh, can probably two if not one out of ten times you're going to hit with those kind of players in round five. Of course. The reason why I brought that up is Hakeem Butler. I think he's so underrated. I watched his highlights. I was watching some of I tried to watch some things rather than just look at just straight highlights. I want to know, like, what they're bad at. So I try to dig up some things, like, you know, how he gets off the line and stuff like that. But I honestly think, like, Hakeem Butler, six foot six, they just fit in our um you know, with Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard. But I'll get what you guys feel about that. But um, I want to ask you guys something. I don't know if it will actually work, if if you can do that. But David Gettleman um, says he keeps on saying he has a plan. And don't believe me, I'm not staying up at night trying to put thumbtacks on my whiteboard and try to figure <laughs> out, like, okay, what, what well, is that's his good plan. Here. But, you know, his plan seems to be centered around that quarterback position. You know, they took, I'm not going to buy into the hype of them taking a quarterback out to dinner, you know. They probably take a lot of people out to dinner. Yeah, they sure. took quarterbacks to is, last if, year out for dinner. You know, what if they, 
yeah, what if they really love Dwayne Haskins? And what if his plan is, okay, we're going to wait till six. If Dwayne Haskins is not there at six, we're just going to move on. We're going to take a defensive tackle, edge rusher, or maybe an offensive lineman, a really good one. Yeah. And then if Arizona takes Josh, um, takes Murray, calls him up and say if they want to trade, like, can, can, can't we just wait after I'll pick six, like wait to see if we get Haskins. Sure. And then if Haskins is off the board, make a call to Arizona. Say like, hey, I want to give you my 17th. And well, assuming that six, Rosen is still the on their team at that you know time, Sean. Yeah, but Sean, at that point, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as Lance just said, Rosen might have been traded already by yeah, that. Yeah, you just don't that. know if Rosen's still going to be on the roster. You, yeah, you just don't know. And also, we, we, don't, we just don't know if this is all just a big uh, misconfusion from Arizona and they really love Nick Bosa. So it's all speculation. Yeah, it's absolutely. fun to speculate, but... You know, there's anything that could happen um, in this draft. And I just wanted to kind of give you this scenario. And um, I thank you guys for um, responding. And, and, and it's true. We don't know what's going to happen with Josh Rosen, you know. And Miami and Tampa could jump. And, and who knows, Haskins uh, um, Haskins might be taken before Murray. We've seen shocking things in the draft before. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I just absolutely. wanted to point that out. And thank you guys for taking my call. I appreciate it. Well, Sean, thank you for listening. Because well, for listeners like you, we wouldn't have a show. So well, we I'm, appreciate it. And there's also a scenario where maybe there's a team, John, like Kansas City, who thought they were going to move up to get Patrick Mahomes. Maybe there's a team trying to make a move, and they feel Rosen's got value. He's still on a rookie contract which is similar to Jabril Peppers, value. You have remaining years on the contract. It doesn't put stress on your cap. And you're saying to yourself, hey, we'll groom him. He can be the backup. He'll learn from our veteran. And then maybe in two years, we make the transition. I think a team could be in play from that perspective. For example, the Steelers are clearly going through a transition period. No more Le'Veon Bell. No more Antonio Brown. They have young skill position guys around Ben Roethlisberger now, whether it's Juju Smith-Schuster or the other guys in their roster. James Conner is young. Uh, Rodgers, the other Chester, Chester Rodgers? Eli Rodgers. Eli Rodgers, thank you. Chester, I think he's been the Vikings. But they have young wide receivers around Ben Roethlisberger. Maybe they want to get the next guy in there. Maybe that's what they want to do. You know, their backup is the kid from Tennessee right now, like the Hobbs, right? Dobbs? Dobbs. Dobbs, Joshua thank you. Dobbs. Joshua Dobbs. Yeah. And... The- engineer of some sort. Yeah, he is an engineer, but I don't know. Rocket scientist. I'm not sure if they think he's the future, so maybe they want the next guy in there. Maybe the Chargers want the next guy in there. Maybe the Patriots want to replace Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, New England is a fair one, too. That's why I said everybody's focusing on... Yeah, John, everybody's focusing on a team that's got a dire need for a quarterback, but what happened with Patrick Mahomes should not be overlooked. A a team that you Mm -hmm. don't think is maybe going to be aggressive is thinking down the road a little bit. So, you bring up a good point. Pittsburgh, New England, I I think are two teams that I would watch. It it makes sense if they want to aggressively make a move to try to get a successor in play. Final call of the show. It's all brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants. Prizes is Scott in New Mexico. He's up next. What's up, Scott? Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Doing all right, Scott. What's on your mind? Uh, uh, First, before I get to my main question, uh, you were talking about Montez Sweat and the medical issue. Yeah. He has a heart condition, so how do they evaluate situations like that? Because it's not a soft tissue injury. That will be a and team. I was just curious if there's a bigger now, protocol for that. Scott, that, that is that is a team-to-team deal. Each team will make a decision based on what the condition is and whether or not they think they can play with it. Some teams will have him on their board. Some teams will have him off their board. I have no idea what the Giants think about it. And it all depends on the severity, too, because at least according to the reports, it's right. similar to the condition that that Maurice Hurst had last year, and he ended up dropping all the way to around five. Some people thought he wouldn't get drafted at all, but now Sweat's still being talked about as a top 10 or top 12 guy. That's why when we always talk about the draft process, and me, Paul, and Lance are always very careful about this, 
We could talk about what the guys do on the field. We could talk about what our reporters tell us about the kid. We don't know a lot about the off-the-field stuff. We don't know a lot about the medical stuff. And this is the decisions each individual team will make. There is no uniform protocol around the league. Each team makes their own decision. And I don't know what the Giants' evaluation will be of that condition. It's no different. I'm not comparing various issues, but Jalen Smith, who was drafted by the Cowboys, you know, he had a very serious leg injury. And the Cowboys' doctor happened to be the individual that was performing some of the surgery. So Dallas had a little bit more intel, you can argue. And maybe that was why, Scott, they were willing to take a risk. But it's no different, the conversation that's going to happen with Sweat. And even even with that, I mean, yeah, the doctor did the surgery. No one knows how a nerve is going to heal. of course not. It's all based on potential and speculation, 100%. Whether you're the doctor that has an in with the player or not, your guessing game is not necessarily 10 times better than the doctor who had no association with the surgery. If doctors could predict how injuries and conditions would heal, our medical profession... In, in this country, it would be a lot different. Yes. Let me put it that way, okay? Yeah. Right. Uh, my, my main question is, is basically about the quarterbacks because I still think the Giants need to take one. I looked at all three pro days, uh, Haskins and Murray, and I also looked at Drew Locke yesterday, mm-hmm. and he was very impressive. I know you saw him at the Senior Bowl. I think he was there. Yeah, Drew Locke uh, probably has the best arm of any quarterback in this class, except for maybe Tyree Jackson. So is there a scenario where if the two quarterbacks are gone and there's a likelihood that's going to happen and Haskins is not available at six, uh, I assume Murray's going to be taken by Arizona. Is there a scenario that you see, either of you, that would allow the Giants to get Drew Locke a little bit earlier? And is he worth the potentiality? Because if they're using that Kansas City, famous Kansas City model, wouldn't he be the ideal candidate to actually perform uh, under Eli Manning for a year, and then, uh, I would not work take. I would not take him six, Scott, under any circumstance. Seventeen, I would think about it. He would be in my conversation. I can't tell you whether or not I'd pick him or not right now. I think it's reasonable to think that he'd still be there when the Giants pick seventeen. I'd be uh, surprised. It's, it's reasonable. I don't think there's any guarantee. No, there's no guarantee. But as it stands right now, I would be surprised because you know if Drew Locke goes, we're talking about maybe the potential for like four quarterbacks to have been taken off the board. Depends on what people think of Daniel Jones versus Drew Locke in and that Will scenario. Greer too. Will Greer is another one who all of a sudden is now skyrocketing up people's rankings too, based on you know what they do and what they had for lunch. Right. There is the one thing day, though, but, by the way, Charlie Weiss, who does the morning show with Bob Pop on Sirius. And he loved Baker last year. Baker was his number one quarterback. He loves Will Greer. He thinks he's going to be a really, really good NFL player. Well, not that this is a fair opinion because the guy who I interviewed was his coach last year, but I had Jake Spavital on my show on Sirius XM who obviously was the offensive coordinator for West Virginia. And I asked him this. It wasn't what he thought of his upside. It was the fact that I found it interesting, John. We were talking about all these quarterbacks. Nobody brought up Will Greer a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. It was always... The Murrays and the Haskins, then you jump to the Jones and the Lock, and yep. Greer was in the Senior Bowl too. Sure. But Greer's name didn't get brought up, and West Virginia's offense, love it or hate it, was ridiculous. I mean, those teams put up points in the blink of an eye. I know people say the Big 12 has no defense, this and that, but Greer has a lot more experience than some of these other guys, and nobody talked about him. So that's a name that I would not quickly dismiss and jump strictly to Lock and Jones. I think Greer is also worth having the conversation. Okay. My, my last point, and I'll get off the air. Uh, I was curious about a wide receiver out of South Carolina. I think he was also at the Senior Bowl, Debo Samuel. Yeah, he's a good player. And he was, he was very impressive. 
just wanted to get your overall opinion of them and uh, have a good weekend, guys. Thank you. You too, Scott. Nice Appreciate it. Uh, day, day two receiver. He can play inside. He can play outside. Frankly, he's very similar to the guys the Giants have on their roster right now. He, if you want to draft a guy that's a lot like Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate, go draft Debo Samuel. He's a good player, though. Good player. Yeah, I agree. I, I like his upside. I, I think he's a crafty wide receiver. I like a lot of those guys that I think are going to go in the later rounds, too. It's it's a good mid-round receiver class. Yeah, you know, like an Andy Isabella is another guy well, that comes to And mind. the caller mentioned Akeem Butler. I think he's yeah. an intriguing guy. He's uh, another one. Nikhil Harry, if you want a speed guy, McCall Hardman, we talked about him today. Riley Ridley, again, more of a position, you know, uh, possession type of guy. So, you know, there are... and. There's a lot of different types of wide receivers, too. You have Hunter Renfro, another guy that people like. He has a lot of experience at Clemson. Um, he's, yeah. he's a Clemson guy. We'll have a guy on cut that covers Clemson next week, as well as Ohio State, by the way. Make sure you stay tuned to that. So there's a lot of receivers in those middle rounds that, that could be intriguing to teams that are looking for different types of players, too. Well, and if the Giants are looking to add some depth, I mean, we talked about Cody Latimer and Benny Fowler are back in the mix, and you have Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard, but... You know, maybe they don't have to reach if they're still looking to add another young wide receiver, John, because based on what we're talking about, could have a quality player in the third or the fourth round, and maybe somebody just falls right into the lap of the Giants. So, Salvo's I mean, I think that bullets me. very well. Salvo's killing me. That, that's not even a good picture as to why I just, you had to find a better one than that. But, <laughs> by the way, and I'll say this too, and this will actually make Dan Salmon happy. You know who I'm getting very high on in this receiver class? And I told Dan this when we were at the Senior Bowl too, and the more I've seen, the more I like. I think Terry McLaurin's going to be a really, really good NFL receiver. Really, really good. I think he's going to be a, and he's from Ohio State, which is well, why Dan's that's why I, I was waiting but for you to make that clear to the audience. Now, I, I, th- I, I would, I know, I know Paris Campbell's a really good player at his hamstring the other day, but I feel I'm not sure about you know Campbell as a down the field receiver. He didn't do that as much at Ohio State. I like what he showed at the combine doing that stuff, but what does Terry McLaurin do poorly? He's fast. He's a great special teamer. He runs excellent routes. I don't see why this guy's not going to be a starting quality wide receiver at, at one, two, or three. Take your pick in the National Football League. If the Giants can get him on day two, and he's a great, but we heard him talk, by the way, really, really good kid. If the Giants can get him, you know, with that late third round pick, early fourth round pick, where do I sign? I'll take him. Well, that's why we talk so much about the depth on the defensive line. This also, I think, is a draft where there's some quality depth at yep. wide receiver, mm-hmm. which, once again, I think falls right into the lap of perhaps a need, a depth position of need for the Giants. So that bodes very well. Speaking of Ohio State, I don't think they're going to beat Iowa State later today. And just thought that we'd mention that with Dan in the mix. So he doesn't really. That's the college basketball. You should have heard when I asked them like two months ago, because I don't really follow college basketball until we get towards the end and I start worrying about who's going into the NBA. And that's I watch the tournament based on watching NBA prospects. That's yeah. what I do. And hopefully we'll see John Moran in the Nick uniform next year. Um, Wishful thinking. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, probably because Nick will pick fifth because of the Knicks. Um, well, it won't be any good if he goes there, too. That's the other option. <laughs> oh, shut up. I hate you. You're the worst. <laughs> um, and he, he was he was trashing Ohio State's basketball team two months ago. Oh, he was? Well, oh, yeah. One of the worst teams he's ever seen. Okay. Yeah, he, 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 he was not happy with it. Yeah, well, you know, he's got to give a pep talk to Chris Holtman. That's what I think. Well, they uh, made a little bit of a run. They, they, they did. And yeah, uh, but 538 had them as the most likely Cinderella candidate out of that bracket. Well, listen, the Big Ten's got depth, so, you know, you can make a case for a few of those teams that I think have fallen under the radar. Purdue, I know Purdue had a good finish, but Purdue doesn't get a lot of credit. I think they're a dangerous well, team as three well. Three seed. Yeah. So. Can I ask you an odd question? And this will be the last thing I ask you before we say goodbye. Odd question. Okay, that's a good way to preface okay. a question. This, it's an odd question. 
other than Michael Jordan. Oh, fuck. Is, I didn't even bring this up. By the way, no, can no, we no. make sure I did not I, bring no, this up? Uh, and the, 108 no, the question, on a Friday, the question, I did not bring The question's not about him. Okay. Other than Michael Jordan, is the thing you like to talk the most about depth? You love uh, I like depth. teams. I do like teams. With that them. and reliable veterans. Watching reliable your veterans. watching your tweets during free agency, you like talking about proven veterans and teams improving their depth. Aside from your Jordan tweets, those are the things that well, I feel like you tweet about the most. Teams, proven veterans and depth. Well, what teams won in the National Football League and what teams make the playoffs? The ones with proven veterans. There we go. So <laughs> I rest my case. You answered the question for me. <laughs> what else is there to add to it? Okay. I think the proof is in the pudding, as they say. That's all I got. Yeah. I told no, you. I, I told you not a question. Well, I'm not in the business of stating the obvious on Twitter. So if that's what people want me to do and commend well, signings, it, that's not what I well, do. Well, in, in fairness, you if, know, you keep, if you keep repeating the same things, you are. Well, but it's more of I look for the guys that fall under the radar, like Jason Verrett, like, which I tweeted about. No one loves a nice Vinny Curry signing. Like Vinny Curry. I do yeah. like a Vinny Curry signing. <laughs> I will be the first one to admit. I'm not ashamed to say it on a giant show. I like what I the Eagles do. are doing. I know you do. I think the Eagles model works, and that's why they've had recent success. He is both a proven veteran. <laughs> And, and he, he provides them. So, so that you know what that's he checks that's, all the no, boxes. No, that's for killing lads. two birds with one stone. <laughs> See that that means I could have taken the conversation in both directions there. I know. I, I'm actually disappointed that I think I only went with the proven veteran yeah. angle. <laughs> and I didn't go with the depth angle. So shame on me for not addressing both. Now, then, do you know why I did this? Now, whenever Lance sends a tweet now, he's going to have in the back of his head. I will probably be thinking about Should it. Should I tweet about nah, depth and proven veterans? I'm going to do it anyway. I, I'm not going to be will. worried about your feedback, because, I can promise because you. Because you're so stubborn, no one can tell you how to do anything, and that's you're not right. going to listen to anybody. That's 100% true. I think that's a good way to sum up the show as well. <laughs> the, the only advice Lance takes is the advice from himself. Me, myself, and I. For, Absolutely. For, Lance, for a good team. For Lance Metal on Josh <laughs> Our producer, Dan Salamone. We'll see you next week on Giants.com. Everybody enjoy your NCAA tournament weekend. We'll see you on Monday. Have Adios.